race, gender, sex. What's your identity? Is religion or faith part of your identity? Can you bring it into the workplace? Can your boss take care of the legal issues? Do they have an inclusion strategy? Are they literate in what religion means to you? Maybe they should give this podcast a listen. This is a Religion at Work podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Religion at Work. I am your host, Eric Servion, Deputy Director for the Tri-Faith Initiative. And for our very first podcast, we have an amazing guest, somebody that you would never think we would bring on for our very first guest, Wendy Goldberg, Executive Director of the Tri-Faith Initiative. Uh, Wendy, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Wendy, we have so many questions that we want to ask you that I know our listeners are waiting to hear from you. But before we talk about Tri-Faith, I want to talk about you. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you identify, um, and what brought you, what was your journey to become the Executive Director at Tri-Faith? So I'm a fourth-generation Omahan. I have been well-steeped as a volunteer and a stakeholder in the Jewish community of Omaha, Nebraska. I literally grew up um, as a Judaism being a very important part of my family culture and identity, and uh, actually grew up as a conservative uh, Jew. And after I was bat mitzvahed, I went to my parents and told them um, I really wanted to take responsibility for my own religious path and that I would feel more comfortable participating in the reform movement of Judaism. And my parents were um, really supportive of that idea and joined a second congregation uh, so that I could continue my education and take what really I have come to understand as interreligious evolution personally. And so taking a stand to to mark my own identity as a Reform Jew. And uh, I, I like to kind of point out there, Reform Jew is not, doesn't have an ED added to the end of it. Reform is um, in action and it's a verb. And so this idea of, of living Judaism as, as a parent, as, as a wife, as a woman, um, as an advocate, I, I really spent much of my young career uh, volunteering in the Jewish community and um, was president of Temple Israel when the idea of uh, starting the Tri-Faith Initiative or thinking about who our neighbors might be in a new location, a bit west in Omaha, we would say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, that that grew into um, me being a founding board member of Tri-Faith and me being a staff member at Temple and then me being on staff at Tri-Faith and and giving up my seat on the board ultimately um, in 2019 when I became a member of Trifaith's staff. And so, you know, I've I've had the the opportunity to grow with this initiative and to um, it's it's a passion project of mine. And mm-hmm. and it really mm-hmm. feels to me like all of the things that happened to me on the way to being in the seat of executive director prepared me. Um, to realize what I don't know and to appreciate what strengths I bring and um, to open myself up and, and encourage others to open themselves up to be exposed to know the religious other and to mm-hmm. deepen mm-hmm. my own faith on that path. So going on that 
exposure to the religious other. Let's switch over to, to Tri-Faith itself. Tell us, what is Tri-Faith and why is Tri-Faith? So Tri-Faith started as a intentional co-location of a church, a mosque, and a synagogue, and hopefully an interfaith center. Mm-hmm. And it it has evolved into that model, that incubator. Um, sometimes I like to call it a Petri dish, mm-hmm. um, this bold experiment. And so many times along this 15 years, many of us were told, like, that doesn't exist anyplace else in the world, and it probably won't exist in Omaha either. And I don't know. For me, it's been a lesson in tenacity and a a lesson in what does it mean when you show up for other human beings, for humanity, what is possible. Right, right. And and what what do we, when we talk about Tri-Faith, tell our listeners, what is the mission of Tri-Faith and what do we envision the world to be 5, 10, 100 years in the future? So our initial mission was to co-locate, but now that that co-location is complete, Our mission was reestablished in 2020, and we have stated that our mission is inspired by Jewish, Christian, and Muslim faith. We cultivate inclusive environments to advance interfaith relationship and understanding. You can definitely tell you've said that line once or twice out there in the community, and it's such an important mission. So as we cultivate this understanding, as we take inspiration from the Abrahamic religions, what does Omaha, what does the world look like in 10 years, 100 years, in through Trifaith's eyes? I think this is an opportunity for this co-location to be a model, for others to look to what's happening at 132nd and Pacific Street with awe, and also to realize that it's an opportunity to rethink what's possible next and and perhaps to dismantle some of what our expectations have been of um, organized religion and to celebrate what is beautiful about organized religion mm-hmm. and to fuel curiosity about what's possible as we get to know the narratives of people whose identity is different than ours and to to listen deeply to those stories because we are so divided right now. Mm-hmm. And the the potential of how that is breaking down our society is so painful. And so Tri-Faith is, is hope. Tri-Faith is hope. And that, that's a beautiful, beautiful thought right there. We, we've talked about the why Tri-Faith, what is Tri-Faith. Let's talk just a little bit about the how of Tri-Faith. Will you tell us just a couple of our marquee programs and how we go about building those bridges and fostering understanding and empathy? Sure. So first is relationship building. That, that we've, we've really are excited that we were able to build this brick and mortar and the bridge and the beautiful setting. But this whole thing is about people. And it's about one relationship at a time. And so that's the most important piece, is that we're bringing people into conversation with each other, into um, hopefully soon to share meals um, and break bread with each other, to, to understand you know, humanity in, um, through relationship. And so we have some programs that help to 
give us a toolkit to be able to have some of those difficult conversations. Um, and so crucial conversations or seen unseen to, to uncover um, our understanding of people who are othered to us mm-hmm. in some way mm-hmm. and their religious identity is othered. That's a chance to talk to each other. And, and let me pause you really quickly, Wendy. When we say othered or religious other, what exactly do we mean? We mean anyone who is of the same faith or a different faith or not affiliated. The tent is very, very big. It's mm-hmm. wherever this conversation of belief or behavior or belonging related to religion falls for you, and it excludes no one. Right, right, right. So bringing it back to, to the programs, what else can you tell us? So then we have a whole series of educational programs where we, um, a, a program like Making the Familiar Strange, mm-hmm. where people from, for, where, where lay leaders often from different religious contexts look at the same text with new eyes, with with a facilitator, with some guide, with study, to be able to say, wow, when when I heard that story as a child, or I studied that at that in my scripture, this is how I understood the story. But how can we put those next to each other and see how to finish each other's sentences? Or sometimes where there's a complete void um, and, and a story doesn't exist in the Quran that exists in the sacred book of the Torah for, for Jewish people. And, and how might we come to understand those stories, those, those sacred stories, by hearing them from each other and hearing how they've impacted our understanding of so many other things. You know, I, I've often thought that, um, you know, people used to learn how to read using the Bible because the Bible was the only book we had. Right. And now we have so many books. So how do we bring in the context of institutional psychology or, um, what we know of toolkits for K through 12 or, or in the workplace, what, what we know about how to cultivate a culture for teams to advance, how might we find the intersection of those with these sacred books? And that's not exactly what that class is about, but it is because we bring our intersectional identity to those conversations and we all read them with that whole group of, of our past. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, mm-hmm. it's cool to kind of witness how, how people come together in those conversations. We also have a, a program called Abraham's Whiteboard where we look at um, what is religion or what is religious freedom or, um, or questions like that through a lens of the Abrahamic faiths that we celebrate that our, our tent is big enough for people who do not identify or are not affiliated with one of the Abrahamic faiths or who are not affiliated with any faith, but but we have special um, attention to our our commons congregation partners and the Abrahamic lens that brought them together as mm-hmm. siblings. Um, and so there's opportunity in our programming to look at those together. I absolutely love that. And one of the programs that we'll talk about here soon is Religious Other Inclusion. But before we get to that piece, um, how does, so this is our very first podcast, Religion at Work podcast and how are how is tri-faith extending the conversation how why a podcast why did we decide to do this well i mean i think we all consume a lot of technology Mm -hmm. and um 
you know, a podcast is is a container where we can deliver some information that is consumable in your car or, you know, on an airplane, or, you know, um, as, as time allows. So just as a vehicle, it's, um, it's, it's a good vehicle. And also it is an opportunity for us to highlight thought leaders from different sectors um, and have conversations of the intersection of tri-faith and those other thoughts. Being able to gather so many thought leaders virtually, being able to connect with people in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and bring them here to Omaha in a virtual format. I think podcast is a perfect vehicle for us to do that. And you know what? On top of hearing their stories, we're able to expand the stories of tri-faith and Omaha-based thought leaders to the rest of the nation, rest of the world. So I absolutely love that we're able to launch this podcast so when it comes to tri-faith and our programming, something that we focus on is religion in the workplace. Now, before I scare away any HR professionals or CEOs, we're not talking about, you know, having a church in a workplace or a mosque or a synagogue. What do we mean by religion in the workplace? Diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging are all topics that we are exposed to regularly, um, and particularly those who are HR professionals or who are in any kind of work setting. It, they're, they're hot topics right now. And, and as we're unpacking uh, the systemic injustice that has been uncovered with COVID and that has been um, uncovered through the murder of George Floyd and others, that the conversation is imperative for us as a country to look at and to get educated about. And a piece of inviting people to be authentic, for many, core to their identity is their religious belief. And so in the workplace, when people are partnering on a team or problem solving or taking a PTO day, all of those things have some kind of connection or context to religious expression. And we would like to change the narrative that when when I grew up, I was told that we weren't allowed to talk about politics or religion. And what that's led to is a lack of understanding about politics and religion in the workplace and, and many other places. And so what if instead we teach people how to have a civil conversation about complex or difficult topics? And um, TriFaith feels that we are modeling that in our co-location and in the relationships that we are building between our congregational partners. And it makes sense for us in modeling that to realize that exposure to the religious other doesn't really happen very often in places of worship. We're more inclined to be exposed to someone who is um, the religious other to us at work or at school and why not have TriFaith come into those sectors and, and have conversations about facilitating dialogue and understanding why religion should be part of an inclusion strategy? Because it makes people feel they belong. Being able to belong, being able to bring your truest, most authentic self to the workplace is something that I think any CEO or HR professional or DI practitioner should be looking for. That means that you're bringing your 
having the most productive employees, you're having the happiest employees, you're having the most fulfilled employees. So another way to say that, Eric, is that there's a business case for this. Yeah, absolutely. There really is. And so I find it very interesting that when we talk about DEI and we talk about protected classes, the current conversation revolves around gender, sex, gender identity, ethnicity. When it comes to religion, why is that so important that we include that that subsect, that topic in this entire conversation? Why religion? Well, low-hanging fruit is that the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission sees, you know, thousands of discrimination cases and and even more that are unreported. Mm-hmm. And so as we are witnessing as a country the intersection of race and religion, sexual orientation and religion, gender and religion, all of those stories are being uncovered as we are are more aware of intersectional identity, as the millennial generation invites a more open tent of conversation around that. Um, The workplace is a place that people bring that toolkit. And if they're Mm -hmm. going to problem solve and and their religious identity is, is a piece of how they problem solve, then their supervisor should probably be aware of that. And there's so many places that there's context for for this conversation to go on, that when we talk about how people um, observe a holiday and the difference between that being driven by a Christian majority or if an organization is willing to rethink that in the same way that we've are rethinking remote working, you know, Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. we didn't imagine that remote working could be as productive for teams as it has, is becoming that so many teams are now thinking about doing that permanently. I beg to think that if we invite people to bring their authentic self, including their religious self to the workplace, that we will invite more creativity, that we will um, help people with their levels of, of uncertainty and anxiety because people are seeking not only spiritual wellness, but a community of meaning. And if they can gain some of that by um, leaning into those strengths or that, that toolkit at work also, and or even when you ask someone how they are to to really like make some space for them to answer vulnerably and truthfully about that 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 we can we can be a better community in the workplace and and perhaps we can mirror some of what we hope would come in in religious communities as well so when the we have our listeners whether they're dni practitioners hr professionals maybe a ceo or two listening to us and and they say okay wendy you've made the case try faith religion in the workplace part of the dei conversation so what are what do i do now what are the first steps that businesses corporations these professionals need to do to start having these conversations so then i'm going to ask you to look back at the try faith model and say, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Nothing that has to happen, that you think has to happen by tomorrow or next week or the end of this quarter should be at that pace. We, we have to 
um, be intentional about inviting this kind of conversation. And, and I don't mean hesitant. I mean intentional. Mm-hmm. And to realize that there's a, a, a pace and um, an order uh, to invite some of those conversations that by creating um, safe space to have the conversation doesn't mean that you won't hit a landmine. And so inviting TriPath in because we've had some practice at this to help really think about what is the current culture of your team and what has already been done in your diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy. And is bringing religion in something that you should perhaps lead with? Or should it follow um, an established set of expectations for other employee resource groups or HR policies? And there's not a right answer for any one company. So how might you, as a HR professional or, or a DEI practitioner, have a conversation with myself or Jeremy Fricky or, or Eric about um, where are you at right now um, in, in your DEI strategy and um, what, what might be a, a good next step? And we are more than happy to come in and help you look at what, where you're at right now, look at some of what your policies are, and maybe start with a, a small conversation with just the HR team or the C-suite about um, have you had some of these conversations? Could we facilitate them? Could your could a small group of your team come and witness what's going on at the TriFaith Commons? Um, perhaps you could have a off-site meeting there and um, have a chance to take in the beauty of Abraham's Bridge and feel inspired by um, the TriFaith Initiative. And maybe while you're there, we could facilitate what we would call a crucial conversation where you invite um, eight or ten people on a team to to kind of un- unpack some some conversations. For some, that's enough to do in a year. And for others, we could come in and facilitate you know much deeper dive into understanding what the uh, legal perspectives are or financial case is for deepening a relationship with an employee resource group or a business resource group and how you might increase your return on investment as a company by using the resources of the diversity that uh, are either in your employee base or your your customer base. And um, we're seeing um, a lot of success happen in some of the big companies Google and Salesforce and PayPal, they're leading American Airlines leading the way in um, inviting these conversations into spaces. And we know many small businesses and nonprofits have had a good practice, but not an organized practice in having these conversations. And so in each of these sectors, there's an opportunity to do more. And we would love to be invited into those conversations to help uh, help you avoid as many landmines as possible. And I think that's a great recommendation, inviting TriFaith Initiative into those spaces, us inviting them into our spaces to have conversations, to have that audit of where they're at now, that that reflection of where their company is, where their culture is, I think is a great first step. So I want to go back to something you said um, just now and 
the company's return on investment, ROI, because we have a program that's also called ROI. It's our religious other inclusion. And so so my next question married to our ROI program is, so maybe we have a company that's beyond the first steps. What are What's the next step that they take? What's that 201? What can TriFaith do with our ROI training uh, program suite, if you will, for those who are ready to implement those higher level ideas? So we have some trainings on three different areas, legal issues, inclusion strategy, and religious literacy. And again, there's not a specific package that's right for for any one company. We really want to customize the workshops or conferences for each of the partners that we bring in in the business sector. This is also true in other faith communities. It's true in higher education that we anticipate that as people invite more conversation about religion in the workplace, there'll just be more questions. And What we know is that changing people's ability to empathize or to build bridges requires a lot of storytelling, a lot of of hearing uh, each other's narratives and, and checking our bias and our stereotypes. And so there's this intersection with all of the other diversity, equity, inclusion work that teams are often doing but it's a little bit different on this conversation of religion because we've hidden those conversations away for so long. And for some people, it evokes a lot from their childhood experiences, maybe from their trauma experiences. And um, there's an opportunity for us to help to bridge difference by by teaching teams to not only appreciate similarities, which is a common place we lean, but to value difference. And um, I think our team is keenly skilled um, in being able to help navigate that path. And because of the so the number of stories that we've been able to witness and experience personally, building a culture where it's, possible to have civil conversations about complex and difficult conversations and topics, including religious identity, including religious literacy, has endless potential uh, in building a really healthy culture and then providing a strong return on investment and business case for teams. As those teams then start to grow, there's an opportunity for those teams themselves to help enhance the ability to serve a broader, diverse customer base. Because if you have a more diverse team working together, not only does research show that that increases innovation, but that innovation then can help us serve a growing diversity within our publics that are companies serve. And, and that, that it's such a good point. There's so much research that points to how if a workforce is representative of a population or a clientele or a, a market, if you will, you, you get larger returns on investment, you get greater um, productivity and such. So 
let's switch gears just a little bit. We have maybe a few business leaders listening and they're thinking, you know, just saying the word religion in my workplace might elicit feedback that I just don't want to open that can of worms or that Pandora's box. How can we soothe their hesitation there? How can they start that conversation? I think a really healthy place to start is with one relationship at a time. Perhaps you're going to have a conversation with um, a person you already have some pretty deep trust with in your office. Maybe that's you know, someone on your immediate team and, and ask a couple of questions, you know, tell me about a, a religious experience of your childhood or how was, um, you know, I, I think I understand that, that you observe Yom Kippur. Um, how was that observance for you this year? Um, when you see that it's on the calendar, just open the dialogue a little bit, right? And, 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 and let, let me really- stop you right there, Wendy, because tell us, Give me either a story or an example of how much that means to a person that a boss can say, I know you just observed this religious observance. That means a lot to people, doesn't it? Right. So first of all, the opportunity to observe a holiday as a a, a Jewish person when it's not on the federal calendar um, means usually that it counts, you know, against you, you know, it's it's a PTO Mm -hmm. day. And, um, and so that, that's a a first kind of nugget to to keep in mind. Secondly, an observance of of Yom Kippur in particular is a day of repentance. It's a day of healing. And so if a boss in the workplace was to honor that you had completed some sort of ritual that was, um, cleansing that was to bring renewal with your relationship with self and whatever you saw as a greater power. And the boss was willing to acknowledge that and then perhaps not use that day or week or month to bring up some old pain because you've just finished this ritual, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think there's an opportunity in, in many different rituals across many different kinds of cultural competence where when we hear someone's daily, weekly, or yearly, or annual patterns of ritual that, that we can invite some of those um, in and, and appreciate each other in new ways. Absolutely, absolutely. And so... When it comes to pushing the envelope forward, I want to make sure I phrase this correctly, pushing the envelope forward when it comes to religion as a conversation as a whole, where, and let's get specific about Omaha, because that's where we're based, where would you envision, where do you want to see the conversations happening here in Omaha? Who do we need to engage with? Who needs to engage with us? I go a lot of different directions with the answer to that question. Let's see. There's a lot of different ways that we need to go about this. So, um... The religious landscape in Omaha is shifting, and Omaha has been a very has had a, a beautiful, strong, vibrant Catholic community, and I hope that that continues for a very long time. And I think that appreciating that um, there's been so much good that has come from the Catholic community in terms of leadership, philanthropy. And justice. And also, it takes up a lot of space. 
And so what would happen if some of that beauty that to some as framed as power includes a broader base of an understanding of religious identity? And so as our religious landscape shifts and Omaha itself moves from having 25% of its population identify as Catholic to having 26% of its population identify as unaffiliated. I don't believe that means 26% of people who are not seeking a community of meaning. They've just shifted what they know that to mean related to their grandmother's version of religion. As well, there's an increased number of some of the uh, more minority factions of religion, Jews, Muslims, Hindu, Sikh, etc. And what as if, as that religious landscape shifts and we come into conversation with each other and we amplify each other's voices how in a very red state, that intersection with politics, can we diffuse fear of each other and increase our ability to live in harmony? Now, the Tri-Faith Initiative, by some people, feel that it's some blending of faith, and it's not that. It is to honor our differences. And often, you know, we, we talk about the United States as a melting pot. The Tri-Faith Initiative is not a melting pot. We are not creating one religion. We're not looking to make anyone conform or proselytize. In, In fact, we celebrate the potluck, that we each bring our own authentic flavor to the table, and there's always one more chair. Absolutely love that. And I think especially in the times of COVID where we're seeing a renewed interest in what faith or religion means to people. Um, You know, you and I have have shared articles where more people are coming back to the church, to the synagogue, to the mosque in these times. And it's going to be an amazing potluck, if you will, uh, here in the next many years. Uh, Wendy, is there anything else before we let you go? Anything else you want to share about Tri-Faith, what we do, who we are, or maybe what your hopes and dreams are for the future? My hope for this next chapter of Tri-Faith is that we fuel curiosity and that we continue to be pioneering and that we reach to the edges to connect one human being to another, and that we are intentional to deeply listen to each other's stories and make space for people to be their authentic selves. If we can have our listeners take away anything from this conversation, I want it to be that right there. Wendy, Executive Director, Tri-Faith Initiative, thank you so very much for joining us. And please stay warm and stay healthy.